So we might have additional guests on this show today because yeah. um, Mimi and Momo, their uh, food time, their feeding time is in exactly 56 minutes. And they usually ah. get a little bit antsy before that. And they come up to my to my desk and are like, hey, are you feeding us? Are you feeding us? And so yeah. actually, in fact, I'm I'm being watched right now <laughs> by a very cute but slightly annoyed cat that's like thinking, yeah. why why is he talking into the microphone instead of bringing us our precious sub-sustenance? Because, yep. <laughs> because don't the you see I'm starving? Is, is it the look where they're sat there uh, tapping their imaginary wristwatch as they look at you? Like, yeah, pretty much. Like, like another time? Like, <laughs> like they're just <laughs> looking at me. And like when I try to pet them, they're like, ah, no, 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 this is not the thing that I want. <laughs> yeah, I've had to barricade myself. I say that sounds dramatic. I've had to make sure the door is properly shut to this room. Because otherwise, uh, I have a similar problem. I've got a cat who will decide that he needs to be in here and on here and into everything. Um, yeah, um, he's been fed. He just really likes to come door. in and do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't really. Well, I could shut the door, but that would just lead to them meowing directly outside the door and trying to yeah. open it. Because they actually do know how to work door hands. I think we talked about this before. Um, yes, I think we did. But and yeah, Monty's the same. Yeah, usually with a with a stern talking to and the closed doors, they can do that. But for today, I've just decided that if they come in, I'm going to put the microphone into their paws and they can meow mm -hmm. a little bit. And because that's the, the content, that's the content that people have subscribed to this show for. Absolutely. Cat-tastic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yes, if my doing? door barricading fails, then you'll hear Monty burst his way in, sort of cool, Kool Aid Man style. <laughs> oh yeah, we can, we can just connect them to each other, and they can like they complain could, they about have their, their owners. Own. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We could have cat cat hour instead. But uh, you asked how I'm doing, Daniel. Yes, I'm I'm doing pretty well, to be honest. It's uh, mm -hmm. January. We're fresh back after holidays i've been into uh all sorts of things over the break um but additionally i've i've been back to work this week and things are sort of starting to get in the groove you know you have that sort of january oh where was i after the break of christmas mm -hmm. and oh, anything yeah. else yeah yeah so i've been living that life this week but um things are things are coming together all right that's very good that's really good yeah. to hear how about I, you, Daniel? Yeah, I'm. I kind of try to work over the holidays as well, and like, um, and the time between Christmas and New Year, but uh, it just wasn't wasn't really possible. So I did as much as I could, but um, like, there's so much, just so much going on, and just so many things, uh, that 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 I need to um, spend energy on. So like, stuff was really happening slowly, um, uh, but. This week, I kind of was finally able to uh, to pick up stuff again and to really pick up the pace and get to something that was kind of more or less resem resembling proper work. Um, yeah, which leads me actually to a tiny uh, topic suggestion. If you wanna, if you wanna talk about that, because I've been thinking a lot about organizing 
um, development and like managing tickets, that kind of stuff, like, you know, agile, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're up for that, we can talk a little bit about like how, like what are the different ways you, or you organize your, or you plan out your development cycles uh, as an indie, but also in your, in your team. And I can yeah. do the same. Um, if you're not into that, I can also tell you about the huge milestone that just passed for telemetry deck. Um, well, I think the milestone it. needs to be talked about <laughs> first, Daniel. To be honest, this this sounds interesting <laughs> to me. So let's leave it that, and then let's talk about systems and tickets and managing right. work because I'm I'm totally up for that too. So for the last, I don't know, half year or so, me and Lisa have been talking about, oh, what are we going to do when we finally hit one billion signals? Like because we have this this counter on the website that basically just goes into the database every second and looks up like how many signals are actually there and just counts them yep. up, sums them up. And that's been like ticking upwards and upwards and upwards. And for me, it was always like far, far away. Like something that is like at some point in the far, far future, this thing will get another digit. But it's yep. it's never been it's never been a thing that's like close. And so I don't know, like a few few days ago I was like, um probably like around March or something. And I've been playing around with Blender, making a little graphic for that. Um, because Lisa has been asking me, hey, can you can you make a graphic for the one billion blog post? And I'm like, wow, you're thinking far ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, cool. And then I've, I've just been playing around because I I kind of been sucked into the Blender hole. That sounds very wrong. Um, so Blender, <laughs> the 3D animation software that's free and open source and that has been recently has been suddenly got really, really good and user-friendly. I don't know, like they, mm -hmm. they seem to have had some infusion of code and or cache and really, really worked on their user interface and also on the quality of the rendering and stuff like that. And so with some YouTube, I'm kind of like in my spare time when I'm all coded out, I'm, I'm, I just noodle around with that every now and then. And so I made a graphic and then I, I just put this date range on top, which was like, I don't know, 2020 something, something until 2023, March. And then I added like a 1 billion, the number. And then I sent this to Lisa and she was like, yeah, but why does it say March? Like we're about three days away from this thing. <laughs> and so we did some calculations and the, the calculation ended up to be um, Thursday, January, January 12th. Okay. And so I was like, ooh, okay, I got to change this. So I changed the graphic and we like prepared a blog post and stuff like that. And then yesterday it became clear that no, it's gonna, it's not going to be January 12th. It's going to be 11th. It's going to be Wednesday. It's going to be today. So um, just a f uh, two and a quarter hours ago uh, at uh, 17.45 Middle European time zone, we ticked over. And luckily we had everything ready. Yeah. Just the graphic just the graphic says the wrong date, but um I don't really care. <laughs> well, to be fair, if the graphic is the twelfth, it is the twelfth here in New Zealand. So Yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, that's probably the reason why it says Yeah. Yeah, I go with that. that. I go with that. You were you were just leading with uh, the time at the top the front of the time zone i don't know yeah the, the most important part basically <laughs> i'm biased but that's brilliant that's brilliant you've uh, crossed that one billion signals line that's that's fantastic 
Yeah, it was amazing because like uh every, like all throughout the day, because it's the end of the day for me, right? All throughout the day, um I've been posting on Mastodon every now and then and being like, Oh, not only I don't know, six hundred thousand signals to go. Oh, only four hundred thousand signals to go. And it kind of kept increasing and people were reacting really well. <laughs> Someone yeah. even suggested a Zoom party. And it was like, <laughs> ah, probably not, but um, there was like a lot of interaction. A lot of people are, were like, it felt like New, New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, my God, um, <laughs> almost. So, um, That's brilliant. yeah, we were, we were getting closer and closer and the, the energy just kept increasing. It was really cool. And Lisa, um, and I were recording high fives over Zoom and stuff like that. It was really, really cool. Well, congratulations, um, so yeah. Daniel. That's that's great to hear. Thank you very much. Um, um, I'm looking at big this. Data. This I'm looking at this still from your um, your Blender render. Oh, that rhymes quite satisfyingly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you've got a calendar that's showing the one billion in big big numerals on top of it, and a rocket lifting off in the middle there. And right. I think we should see if we can link this up. I'm wondering if you're if you've got a blog post waiting in the wings. Yeah, or there's a blog like post that. on the we website link. already, and that is the, brilliant. The, the, yep. hero, the hero image for that, basically. Like I sent you Great two stuff. images. Like one has yep. the rocket arcing all over the image, like from lower right to upper left, and one has the rocket just launching right next to the number. And we ended up going with the second one with the rocket just launching, because yeah, the direction was kind of wrong. Like it felt like going backwards if if it goes yes. from, from right to left. And also it kind of looked like the, the trail of the rocket was going to cross out the number. So yep. uh, I decided to go back and de-emphasize the rocket a little bit, play around with the smoke a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had so much fun. Like I just need to include rockets every, everywhere now. I love the render. I'm seeing reflections on the, uh, on the numerals that are 3D yeah. and sat there in the middle. Um, and they look, almost edible uh, that's uh <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how i got started with blender really because i i had this new macbook pro uh with the m1 pro i think not the max but the pro and i was like wow all this computing power what, whatever shall i do with it like of course i can compile mm -hmm. stuff but how how do i really play around with the graphics card and then I, I i was reading about the fact that blender now has ray tracing like it has a completely new ray tracing engine and yeah. I was like, I'm going to try that out. And just with a few sliders, you can like completely max out the machine. Like the, the image <laughs> that you've seen that, that took like, it's this little image took like, I don't know, 45 minutes to render. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it has already all these reflections and refractions and the, the smoke is like partly transparent. It has, yeah, it has subsurface transparency. And there's like depth of field in there and everything. And that's yeah, great. It's just, but it was really fun to make. And I think I'm going to try every now and then to make something in this style. That's really cool. I keep feeling like I should learn it better if only to sort of have another tool for assets for AR potentially uh, mm -hmm. or creating images like this one. And in particular, I'm thinking of things like um, app icons as well oh, yeah. as being an, another potential here with Blender, sort of getting that, that, that 3D pop by doing it that way. Um, yeah, I got that. Yeah. It's been beyond me for some time, but if you're saying the interface has been given some TLC, 
It sounds like it, it might has. be time for me to, to give it a look And also again. there's various YouTube tutorials that are really well done. Like there's this one yeah. guy, I think it's called, he's called Blender Guru or something like that. And he does this really good series where you just make a donut. And apparently that's the, that's the hello world of, of Blender designers. Yes. And it, he has these like 20 minute videos. And first of all, you just make the donut, then you add some glazing. Then the next episode, you add some sprinkles and all the, all of that teaches you various, um, aspects of the app basically. And yeah, that's, awesome. that's actually super helpful and it's, it, it's pretty fun. I, again, I'm slightly off topic, but I've got a Blender <laughs> expert in my house of sorts. My eldest child okay. has, has fallen into it over the last sort of 18 months or so. So, so they can, uh, they can make your icons. They could, they really could. Um, yep. And then that could be something I could do as well as I could outsource the effort. <laughs> but um as it were or in source he's in the same house i don't know how we we call that but yeah uh and getting off topic but he designed me for my 40th birthday a couple of months back a um 3d model of the guy from doom so the doom guy from oh the game. nice yeah and it's just come to fruition in the last few days actually because he had this this model is fully jointed as like a, a figure, like an action figure. Mm-hmm. And he had it 3D printed. He spent ages kind of sanding it down and getting it just right. And then mm-hmm. it's been a whole process of uh, painting and gluing it together and, and bringing it all together. And it looks fantastic, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm biased. It's my son <laughs> and everything else. But um, it has come out really, really well. And I think uh, I will... Um, potentially link a YouTube video if he lets me to the show notes uh, because he's put together this sort of compilation of like how he built it and everything else. But you'll be able to see it if you take a look at the, the link. So I'll try and find that out by the time this this goes out or some sort of link for people. Uh, but it's uh, definitely has been a fantastic present to have. And uh yeah, I just need a, an updated study room with shelving and LED lights to show it off. That's that's the plan at some point. Are you going to put it in, in onto a, into a under a spotlight or something like that? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, it's uh, it's he's even built it with a little stand and everything else as well. And oh, that's um, really cool. Yeah, and, so, and, so and do you, a plasma do you like rifle really, too. <laughs> <laughs> do you like really like Doom, or or is this like a like a thing for you, or was it just a random decision to go to go for the Doom guy? Or well, Doom is how I. If it wasn't for Doom, I wouldn't be the programmer I am today. In some ways, okay. Do tell. Isn't, yeah, uh, way back when in the late nineties. Its software released the source code to Doom, mm-hmm. and the internet went kind of crazy, sort of making different ports of the game. Uh, I think yeah. it, originally it was like the Linux code was released, and then it was ported back to DOS. Uh, the various different versions of of the Doom engine you can pick up today usually share some lineage all the way back to to then. Uh, and at the time, that 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 sparked me off as sort of a 15, 16-year-old getting into uh, C programming in roundabout ways. Oh, wow, so that's really cool, on the Doom engine. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's kind of part of my uh, sort of backstory of getting into dev, I guess. 
It's your villain so, origin story. Yeah, I don't um, I don't play it so often these days, but every so often me and the kids will play like a, a co-op game and go and beat some monsters up together. Very nice. Really cool. Isn't Doom the one that has, or that might, or it might be Quake? Um, one of either Doom or Quake has in it somewhere a function that uh, can be used to calculate quadratic equations or something with uh, yes, perfect yeah. or, or, or like or approximate them. But they're like, but the function runs really fast, so it's basically the reference implementation for um, calculating quadratic falloff in all kinds of graphics stuff, but. John Carmack, the developer of Doom, doesn't really know how he came up with it. Isn't that the one? <laughs> yes. Yes, I think it is. I'd have to research exactly what it was, but I do remember hearing about that. And it was, I think it was in Quake rather than Doom. Oh, okay. It uh, makes sense. Yeah. But then the Quake source code was released a few years later as well. Sort of, I think, right. probably early 2000s. So, yeah, that definitely will have been out in the wild at that point. Cool. I just I just read that um, somewhere that you can make GitHub Copilot, the, the AI co-programmer thing, you can make it spit out ex this exact function. And then some people were using that to prove, quote-unquote, that uh, GitHub, GitHub Copilot is taking unlicensed work because that's off, that's apparently not never been released under an open enough license or something like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that would be a bit of a uh, bit of a smoking gun, as it were, as to, to showing <laughs> what it's doing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like someone could have taken the the Quake source code and then just I don't know repackage it and just put it on their yep. GitHub without like without thinking about licenses licenses or something. So it's a murky. It doesn't have to be super world. evil. It's just murky. No. Yeah. Exactly. Um, oh dear. Yes. Doom. Doom and quake and source code there i think um 15 16 year old me would have been really quite enthralled at the idea of being able to tell something uh write me x in the style of john carmack <laughs> <laughs> which, which is given i've not used copilot is, is my assumption of what you could do with it i don't know whether it would give you anything meaningful for doing that but, i mean uh, i don't know <laughs> Probably not. Um, most of these, um, like, I actually do use GitHub Copilot. Yes, shame on me, but it's it's really helpful. But it's helpful for the the small, tiny helper functions, you know? Like, write me a yeah. four-line function that does, I don't know, this and that. And for that, it's really helpful because you can look at it and see, like, okay, it doesn't have any glaring errors. You can write a test for it and see, like, okay, it's behaving correctly. But especially in a language like JavaScript, where I'm not super firm in, it usually does it the, um, how do I say this, the approved way, the industry standard <laughs> way that I probably don't yep. know which which one is the correct way. So that's that's really helpful. But yeah, I wouldn't trust a whole class written in that, let alone a whole engine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... Um one of the things with it is that I, I want all those benefits, right, of kind of reducing boilerplate and, and mm -hmm. cutting developer time and all of that. Uh, but I also want the IP side of things to be straightened out. So there's a, a, a part of me there that would go, that would be excellent for the team that I work in in my day job for certain mm -hmm. uses, right? We, a co-pilot that is sort of sitting there as you go, 
potentially offering advice as you've got things as well, right? If if you if you think of it as like an extended autocomplete, almost right. in some situations, I, I think it could be really quite useful. But I want it to be trained on our source code and mm-hmm. anything else it offers up to be nice and legal in terms mm-hmm. of its origin and what it's giving us, because it, it worries me that at some point this is going to unravel and it's going to be a bit of a sort of, uh, like I say, an IP nightmare after a point in terms of what's been generated by it and what's not, if it gets used, you know, just oh, yeah. at some point there's going to be a discussion. And by that, I mean a legal discussion yes. about um, all these, all, w- what is the output of all these AI like, in relation to their input like mm-hmm. where's the where's the 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 legal rights to that and everything else and i mean of course you can like there are various points along the along the scale where where you can really easily see okay this is okay and this is not okay like for example yep. um like if i use photoshop for example and then i i select something and then i use the content aware fill um function then it will use an AI to fill that part of the image. And it's still, it's me who made that image. I have the copyright because I've just used the Photoshop tool, right? And yes. not many people would probably debate that. But then on the other hand, if I um, tell an image creation AI to, like, I don't know, make me a book cover in the style of, um, I forgot the name, some famous book cover artist who has a very distinctive style, then it's getting uh, murky, David right? Wood. Really? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, and then, and then yeah, if, I, if, I agree. if GitHub Copilot spits out an exact function that is copyrighted, um, then like there's really like like this is this is basically a line that has been crossed. And yeah. as I said before, like the line has probably been crossed out of negligence and maybe not willingly by the developers of github copilot i don't want to uh, yeah. like make them sound more malicious than they really are but 100%. yeah that's a thing yeah. to be to be said for checks and balances here and that's that's just a, a thing and a topic that's going to be with us for the next few years i think agreed agreed uh, i think i want all the benefits and none of the downsides i think is my bias here yeah. so uh, and those downsides feel like they've they've yet to be figured out in terms of the legalities and all of that but daniel i want to move us back to where we were at the beginning of the show because Mm -hmm. i remember you said you were going to ask me and talk to me about sort of systems and ticketing and organizing work so i think if we circle back around to that that could be quite cool to talk about in this case david do you do agile oh good question (laughs) So, so which um, David are you asking? Yeah. Are you asking day job David or are you asking indie dev David? Because they're, they're kind of two different types of developer. Oh, yeah, I get that. Um, can you compare and contrast those two? Yeah, go on then. So do I do agile? Not at home. There's kind of almost no point in some ways mm-hmm. because um, my development work on my indie projects comes in, in fits and starts as I'm carving out time from weekends and evenings and things Mm -hmm. and this is probably quite crucial actually because to that end typical agile as i see it and i'll get to that definition in a second but typical agile uh is more about building up a cadence like like a flow of work 
right mm-hmm. and a rhythm of what's being developed and delivered um and it's about making sure that you've got sort of the the kind of correct rhythm and balances over the course of a period of time to then be able to iterate relatively quickly uh and relatively sort of meaningfully in terms of your taking in input and everything else um for my indie dev stuff because it's in fragments of time stretched out over periods of months perhaps before i release like a major release the the cycle isn't there There's, there's no rhythm there to sort of start building this up uh but i do have there are practices that that do come back over the line from sort of my day job work into my my indie work uh so i'm going all around the houses here because i've not defined what i think agile is before we get started <laughs> Um, so maybe I should do that first and then I can talk about what comes, comes back over from, from that sort of world into my indie dev. But so Daniel, let me ask you a question. What do you think, what, what does agile mean to you? Oh, that's easy. Agile is a swear word that just means do the same work, but call it differently and have lots of meetings. Um, (laughs) I'm joking of course. Okay. No. So, uh, agile is basically a a concept of let's break down the waterfall development methodology that has been that was like predominant in the i want to say 90s and noughties and um so uh, just towards the the beginning of the noughties i think like people were starting to think about like how can we make developing software easier and faster because Back then, people would usually write down a specification and then write the whole huge program uh, mm-hmm. uh, by that specification, and then at the end find that oh wow, we've made a mistake and we just like we we the whole structure is wrong, and so that yeah. would be very costly and very slow way of developing software, and so people were trying to be more agile by splitting up the work and then only specifying um, parts of the parts of the work usually very small part yep. that can be done in what's what they call a sprint so like well, uh, that takes maybe a month or maybe even less and then um just work on that have something and then see if it works run the tests and and then e- maybe even release it into the world or at least internally mm-hmm. so it needs to be functional it's uh, for some way and then iterate on that and so for the next sprint be like hey what can we do to improve this what can we yes. what can we change and this Usually, especially compared to waterfall, waterfall leads to better software that is um, less stuck in these very rigid phases. But yes. at the same time, in various companies, uh, companies it has this has grown to become very disliked by some people because um, what various people do, and I've, like the names of these people escape me right now. But there's like there's been a whole, a whole lot of books and stuff like that. From people who were like, okay, these is, these are the agile methodologies, and you need to do this. You need to do a sprint review meeting. You need to do, mm-hmm. do sprint preparation meetings. You, you need to do all these kinds of different meetings, and they and th- those have become a little bit of a religion. And yes. while the idea behind these meetings was intended to be um, clarification, communication, and I don't know, just like improving the whole thing, many many. Um, 
people who write software came to dislike them because they became sort of a cult thing where like a cargo cult for uh, being agile, which means that, oh yeah, yes. we're agile because we have these meetings, but we don't really use them for the intended purpose because we didn't really understand oh. it. And so <laughs> yeah. you're just stuck in a stand-up meeting where 10 people say, I have no blockers. And yesterday I did <laughs> the <laughs> ticket number 4785. And today yeah. I will do ticket 4789. And again, I have no blocker. So next person. And um, yep. that is just horrible. And I very much dislike that. But at the same <laughs> time, um, so for, for my own project and that's projects and that includes telemetry deck, what I usually do is I have a Kanban board that is like one of mm -hmm. those. Um, so you have like, imagine a, a table in front of you on the computer and there's like these cards and you can move the cards in, in stacks. So they're stacked uh, uh, vertically, but you can move them horizontally from left to right. So the vertical yeah. thing is like, basically you can sort them for um, by priority and then you can move them from left to right. Like one left means maybe I started working on this and then two left, uh, two right means I finished this. Yeah. And so, so you, you end up with like, like reduce. Sorry. Sorry, Daniel. So you end up with, with effectively like a, a backlog or a, a not started pile, a doing pile, and then a done pile. In terms of your your table, you've got these these three columns effectively going from from left to right for Kanban. Is that about right? Yeah, that's a perfect description. Thanks, thanks so much. Um, and so that's something I really really use um, because it is very chaotic, but it still helps me keep it keep a certain kind of overview. And mm -hmm. it also helps, especially with projects that, as you described, are like going in in small in small bursts. Um, because if I if I only have a little bit of motivation or time or both, I can pick something that seems small and easy to start. And if I know, oh, I have a whole day, a whole week in front of me, I can pick something that is like hard, so I don't have to adhere strictly by the um, by the hierarchy by the prioritization. Um, at the same time, recently, um, I started doing more in that regard because um, I've kind of been thinking back to how I used to do um, project planning back when I was a team leader leader in various organizations. And of course, you, like with more people, you need to do way more than that. And I actually yeah. started introducing sprints for myself again. And the reason mm -hmm. for this is that I felt like I'm, I'm tackling various things that are distinct tasks, but need to like are, are integrated with, with each other. Like I have, for example, the funnels feature that I'm, that I'm working on right now. It needs various changes on the server. It needs various changes in the way that the query language is, is inter inter interpreted. Uh, it needs, of course, a user interface. And it also has some dependence even on the way charts are rendered. And, um, so these are all various, like, and that means at least 12 to 15 sub tickets. And so I was creating all those tickets and I was like, ah, how can I force myself to not start the first three and then get sidetracked by a completely different feature? <laughs> and then the funnels get never finished because that's something that happens sometimes. Um, okay. and so I actually started using GitHub's new sprints feature. Um, I, I'm giving myself one week sprints. And, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's been quite motivating at the same time. I don't have 
40 or 60 hours of my week only for programming right now because I have a lot of other things that I need to do that are not code. Um, mm -hmm. So I, it's still a very um, bursty style of development because um, uh, sometimes I don't know. Like sometimes I start a day and feel like, oh, I have the whole day for programming, but then something happens, maybe a server problem, maybe a an important customer who I want to um, convince to use tele telemetry deck is calling or something like that. Or like Lisa is calling me and saying, Hey, I need help writing um, documentation, a blog post or something like that. And then suddenly like my, my day becomes something different. And so um, I can't really give you my velocity, which is like how many tickets, <laughs> how many work items yeah. can I, can I do in a week? Because it, it's, it varies wildly, but I can tell you that it's like between five and 10 things per week or so and that's actually really refreshing to know that so i can like front load my week with hey let's just drop five or five or ten things in there and see how many of those i can i can do and i can't promise that i'll keep up with it but right now it's really helping me and it makes development faster and it makes me really you know like when i'm when i'm at ticket number I don't know, eight of ten, I really start to see the interconnectedness and the the various features that could exist um completely separate from each other. They're enhancing each other and that feels really, really good. So I'm That's I cool. think I'm gonna stick with it for a while. And what you're what you're describing there as well means that um like Kanban to me feels like the right sort of flow for mm -hmm. um itty bitty time stuff that that is in short bursts or is getting interrupted because it's very simple you're either it's either not touched it's in flight or it's done right then right yeah prioritizing the the queue is great that helps you uh what you're describing takes it just one step further with your one one week sprints um in that you're effectively theming your work by by pulling it together in that yeah, way much. All, the, all these these related tasks i imagine that you're there's a theme it's a feature it's a thing you know like you said yeah. it's a, potentially it's, it's all to do with funnels this week or whatever yeah um again that's really good because when you come back after a meeting or whatever it's very clear what you're picking up from that mm -hmm. you know you, you can just come back to the queue uh i imagine it probably makes it easier for for sort of regaining your context as well to some degree yeah very much so and also it, it helps against like so the the way i've implemented this is just i just added another column and that column is all the tickets that are in the current sprint but i haven't touched yet and so these are separate yep. from the big pile of things that i want to do someday and that really helps because uh, when i come back I'm, I'm less tempted to just pick something that's really easy and 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 cool and quick to to do and instead tackle the harder things that but that are part of the bigger theme or feature yeah yeah and i think that, that that temptation is a big deal for indies because you know who tells you no you mm -hmm. know so it's it's you you get to decide where things are going and i think even in your in your current situation of of being sort of out of the solo part of things right because you've got other people working with you but yeah. being mainly the solo dev um i think that that is 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 incredibly useful to you to have a system like this. I I wanted to talk a little bit about like my view of of agile and like where mm -hmm. I've seen please, it work please. and how I've seen it work. So 
um, because I share some of your initial sort of cynicism about devs getting stuck in meetings <laughs> all day and all of that. I've seen it done in various different ways. And I think, oh, one anecdote start, before you, before you start, and then you're kind of the floor for a while. Um, so <laughs> I used to be, uh, also work as a consultant, right? And my hourly rate was outrageous and, I was I was really good at it and 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 people would would pay me and to to come on these teams and partially lead those teams or just take part as a programmer in these teams and at one point I was working for a very large automotive um company and they had a huge software stack and they had they were like comically they they were the counter example against agile basically so I was sitting in these meetings and like out of a two week sprint at least four full days were just meetings. And I was sitting in yep. these meetings just thinking about, oh yeah, somewhere a counter of with a lot of money is just ticking up every minute. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go on with your meeting. Go on with your meeting. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a good point though, right? These things cost, like they, they have a overhead when you get everybody mm -hmm. together in a meeting because that's everybody's wages being focused on their time um, in right. that meeting for that hour. So you sort of start adding up everybody's hourly rate and how long a meeting goes on for. And it can be quite frightening after a point how much, you know, a single meeting can cost a business, mm -hmm. uh, especially when, you know, the, the people organizing these meetings tend to invite everybody to them as well. Mm -hmm. Is the other bit. So thinking about this, actually, I, this, this is a good, uh, good kind of way to bounce into what I'm thinking about here in terms of, of what I've experienced, because yeah, I've seen that, that effect. Um, and that sort of meeting for meeting's sake kind of aspect creeps in as well. Uh, so if I sort of wind back a little bit, everybody's doing our trial. You ask almost anywhere, how do you mm -hmm. develop software? Nobody's going to, very rarely is anybody going to put their head on the line and say, oh, we're doing waterfall. You know, we're using Prince, Prince 2 project methodology or whatever the heck from like, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, and we're still doing Waterfall. Like everywhere says they're doing Agile pretty much. And and you're right in your um, assessment of it being sort of cargo culty, I guess, is, is, is a phrase that kind of works in that there are all these people who came out with books and there's the Agile Manifesto, which I can't quote verbatim. I'm not that into Agile. Um, but, um, the, there was this, this statement made, I guess, early two thousands, late nineties books came out. And what happened is, is that almost everywhere kind of went, this is the hot new thing. We need to go do this. And over the course of the last, I guess, uh, 15 to 20 years, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, um, almost everywhere, uh, started experimenting with and adopting agile in one form or another and certainly in the last five to ten years i feel like everywhere i've seen has has been doing that uh the problem is is that it's usually we do agile but and then whatever is in that but bit afterwards <laughs> is where the devil is in the detail and you find out that it's like actually it's still just a waterfall approach we've got this is the spec and there's no deviation from it at all and we're just slicing it up into two weeks two week sprints right uh you know with a a kickoff and a load of like um getting devs to agree to unrealistic targets by way of making them uh estimate things usually using like a points 
sort of scoring kind of idea where you you don't say how many days you think something will take or how much, how many hours, but you say roughly, you know, how big it is relative to anything else by by giving it a, a point score. Mm-hmm. And in those situations where the core process is still really sort of waterfall or something else, I don't think it works. But you may as well just admit that is what you're doing, right. <laughs> and um, and to work in that 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 manner. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't think there's any one sort of pure way of doing agile that suddenly sort of works brilliantly. Like I do think everywhere has to be their own, their own implementation of it. And Mm -hmm. that actually comes out of the team and the people involved and the type of products you're working on and any other constraints too. So I don't think it's a bad thing that everywhere is agile, but necessarily, (laughs) but the bad things are usually in the but side of it. Uh, <laughs> the bad things are usually in the butt. David, oh, David not, Wood. We are not having that as a show title. I'm sorry, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I completely but, agree with you. Like I can can come across as very cynical, but all these all these parts that you mentioned, they're kind of like puzzle pieces, and you yes. need to and uh, you need to know about them and then build a process that works for you and your team. Yes. So if I think about the places I've seen it work, and I'm not going to pick on any one particular team or company or anything like that, but if the composite of what I've seen work, as it were, is generally um, like a one-week sprint with a team is going to be too short. Four weeks is sometimes too long. Two weeks does seem to be the sort of sweet spot for for building up a sort of a cycle with things. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways. But again, that varies from place to place. And then the other bits that I've seen work is that where you've got um, enforced meetings, as it were, or rituals, if you want to call them that, obviously they need to be bought into by the team and the team should agree what they think is going to be best for the way they work. Like that is the approach of Agile that I think works really well, where everybody has a bit of a say into, okay, we're a team, we're going to adopt some of these practices. What do we want? You know, we all understand there's a bit of a menu of options here uh, and getting people to buy into that. And then the things I've seen really, really work have been things around, well, okay, we will have a kickoff for any sort of new piece of work where the people necessary for making that thing work come together and just talk it through. So this will be, for example, bringing it into mobile development Perhaps you've got a new feature and um, there are some designs ready to look through, set of screens. There may also be an understanding of what the data or backend API needs to sort of look like. And so a kickoff may well be that you have the designer talk through the, the, the designs um, and then you and, and you know the devs involved can then offer their feedback at that point. You can have a bit of a, it's, it's a two-way conversation. Um, but they'll talk through the vision. If there's any other inputs into that in terms of like, you know, what we're trying to achieve, why we're trying to do this, usually coming from like a product owner or somebody in that sort of project management kind of space. Um, and so, and then if there are any other things in terms of constraints of the back end or that sort of thing, you, you'll get that input from, from the people in charge of that at that point as well. And ideally a kickoff doesn't, in that sense, doesn't need to take 
incredibly long. It takes as long as it takes to go through the screens, have a bit of a discussion, a bit of a back and forth, but you're essentially trying to get everybody um, aligned in terms of what they think the thing is going to be. And by doing that, you sort of set the, the developer up for a bit of success in terms of, of understanding outside of themselves what, you know, what the designer thought this should look like, what the product owner's input was in terms of you know, what we're trying to achieve here and what the sort of outcome is for the customer. And so actually those meetings become valuable because this is context as a developer that if you were to just sort of go, okay, I've got a ticket, there's some designs linked, all right, there's an API spec over here. But nobody's told you, you know, the real reason we're doing this is because we've got thousands of complaints about this one specific bit of the work, right? Nobody's giving you that information. <laughs> and, you know, in the process, you find an aspect of the design that doesn't really work. You try and take it another route. So then, you know, when you're playing it back and you're done, you're like, okay, we went this way because of this. And you've missed the big important thing. You know, this now doesn't, solve anything and although you and the designer did have a chat and you agreed it you've missed the input from the other people so what tends to happen then is that you will end up having to refactor or rebuild in some way people will discuss it everybody feels a little bit bad because you've you've lost this bit of context or whatever and you might make some new tickets that's way of working i've seen happen a fair bit and it, it's because people are not talking to each other and you're essentially uh, working through dysfunction at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it would be, it would be like sort of saying, giving somebody the remit to go and build out your funnels. These are the technical steps that you think it needs to have. Um, but actually there's, you're missing the context about what people mostly want from the funnel that could be crucial in terms of, of, of going the right way with your, your data model underneath, for example, in your world. Um, and so, yeah, by having this sort of discussion at the beginning, you can you can uh, de-risk, to use a phrase, uh, the work that comes afterwards. Because you'll find these things out anyway, right? You'll test it. You'll find a fault, hopefully, at some point. Or, uh, oh, we've mm-hmm. missed this. Or this would be better if it was in it this way. And I feel like nine times out of ten, a lot of these things could be resolved by just speaking about them up front. Um, yeah. So that helps when there are things you know, and that's one aspect of it. So I think, like, you know, meetings that are productive in that sort of a sense, great. And actually, I'm a big advocate for sort of kickoff meetings and bringing people together at the start of work and that sort of thing. Yeah, you need to, um, you need to be on the same page, basically. Yeah. Where I've seen it not work, and, and actually, I'll briefly skim over this, but um, – there's the inverse of the meetings I've described where people get together, usually as a whole team rather than just specific people involved, where people will talk through and have a retro over the the work that's been done in the last sprint. Mm. Uh, when they're ran effectively and, you know, by somebody from usually a, a um, like an agile practitioner or a project manager or um, even somebody who's just outside of the team, um, comes in in one way or another, but where they've the way they ran well, um, a retro is really powerful because you'll drive out like the things people have come up against but not been able to talk about very well for whatever reason along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, where they ran badly, a retro where you look back over stuff just becomes a blame game and people use it to, to air grievances, and that's 
that's never really productive for anybody overall. You will notice the things I'm talking about as being beneficial to Agile. I've not talked about the code. I've talked about the people. Yeah, totally. Yep. So I see I see it when it works well. I see it as a way of um, you know, putting a ring around some of the people stuff that makes things work. And if you do it right, then, and you're not having people in pointless meetings all day, then actually it makes it better for the devs because you're clearer about what you've got to work on. Um, you know, you have these sh- quick bursts of contact time with people and then you go and get on with it. And then there's other quick bursts for you to bring it back to people. And that's a vision of sort of the agile meetings and cadence that I, I really like uh, because ultimately you're building software for other people. You know, so you can't just sort of be a developer in a cupboard who takes a ticket and spits out whatever. I mean, you can, but somebody else has got to then bring your work together and bring it to people. I think it works much better if if you're talking about why you're trying to do something, what you're trying to achieve, and that you've got these these points that are of time where, you know, it's okay, we're, we're kicking this off, we're coming together to do this, or we've completed X, Y, or Z, let's go and check how we've done. I think there's a lot of value in that. So I really like that. So cool. what you're saying you'll, is you'll basically... also sorry, Daniel. Uh, I was going to say you'll also see how it doesn't scale very well to a solo developer, right? You know, you're, <laughs> you're not trying to organize time with yourself. I mean, you can perhaps do, try and put different hats on and do these meetings. I, you know, I'm the designer now. Here's the, here's this. Now I'm the developer. I don't agree. We'll do it like this. You could do that with yourself. It'd be a bit weird. <laughs> yeah totally uh, no but it's going to be more important once we are more people and also when i yeah. work together directly with my coworkers, it's usually we usually pair program and so a lot mm-hmm. of the, the stuff uh it's ha- is happening in another way but i completely agree that it needs to happen and yeah. what i also hear from your description and that's I, i'm very much on board with that is like um you you need a, a functional team you need a team that works well together it has like good social hygiene basically yeah um and then you can reap the benefits of agile but if you have a dysfunctional team where no one no one likes each other or, or no one knows how to talk to each other agile is mm-hmm. not going to fix that no and, and actually it'll probably amplify it and this is where you get the everybody's in a daily stand-up where you just go yeah no blockers you know move on um nobody likes that really but people do it if they think they've got to tick the box uh, again, I've seen ways of breaking that down. So you go, okay, nobody likes these meetings, so we'll stop having them. And, and actually a team that I'm working in at the moment, that's, that's what we've done. We, we, we was, from the get-go, we said, we're not doing daily stand-ups. We'll have a one, one meeting a week where we come together as a sync meeting, so it's a bit more than a, a stand-up. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise we will use Slack and we will use asynchronous updates from everybody. So... There's a, a daily thread that goes into the channel and people give their updates onto this this post and thread. Um, and again, we're not going to write war and peace when we update there. It's literally, what am I on? What am I blocked by? What have I landed? Sort of thing, right? So that at most. And usually people are saying what they've got on that day and what they're blocked by more than anything else. And that works. That works really well because when people say, oh, I'm across X, Y, or Z on the, the, the thread, other people chime in and go, well, okay, I, I, I'm doing this today. Can we chat? You know, and it forces those conversations, which a stand-up should do. Um, 
but also if you're like okay i'm fine i know what i'm doing i know what everybody else is doing you can skim read it at your leisure uh and and not let it disrupt your flow as well there's no like dreading nine o'clock because that's when this hour-long meeting is going to happen or whatever so for stand up <laughs> yeah pretty much all right um i think i very much like this topic but i know that we both need to um finish the show pretty much on time today um because yep. otherwise my very hungry cats will devour me and that that would be the end of the show which was which, which would be pretty sad uh but i have <laughs> one more question in in one or two sentences how is toot sdk doing very well cool two words <laughs> <laughs> is it released um, it's not released yet as we speak mm -hmm. so massively over ambitious when we last spoke but um yeah i think if i talk to what, what what's happened over the last few weeks um with Tude sdk i piled into it a bit over the holiday break then i had to stop because otherwise i was going to have no holiday uh And similarly, Constantine had a, a good break over, over the Christmas period. Uh, but we're back now, and we're just trying to get the the post information working properly. So uh, Mastodon, Pleroma, all of these things, the APIs that you talk to, they give you back HTML for a post. Okay, which is, that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, works well for the web. Uh, but for showing on our side in iOS, we want attributed strings for some of this stuff because right. people make, you know, they can make a post where they, they have bolded text, italic text, whatever. And so we're working on that. We're, we're making a, a parser for this stuff. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. And, and there's a couple of ways of doing it. And, and the first way is is quite brittle and quite slow and a number of people who are testing to sdk pointed this out to us and it's actually the way everybody gets told is that you can create an attributed string give it the html and a tell it the document type is html and it will try and give you an attributed string back oh yeah doesn't that spin up a complete copy of safari in the background and that's the reason why we're making our own parser <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway parser for attributed strings um And potentially something similar that gives you Swift UI views. And with all of this, we're trying to make it work nicely for dynamic text and also get the um, custom emojis that you can use in line with your text on Mastodon. Uh, we want them there as well. So there's a bit of complication. There's a bit of complication around, okay, how do we load those asynchronously and still show them nicely in with the text? And uh, again, make sure that we're not, introducing sort of um brittle ways of working that that, that um an app shouldn't have so yeah, i get that yeah i I, th i still think we're odds on for a, for a release over the rest of this month um but i'm not going to hold myself to a date now like i want this bit nailed and then we'll, we'll release it publicly um and once that release happens It won't be a full release, right? It's, it, we're covering about maybe 20% of the Mastodon API at the moment, uh, but mm -hmm. we'll be in a good position to invite other people to assist in the efforts right. with, with covering the rest. Right. 
And especially, Fire. you don't have to, like, you can change stuff under the hood as long as your API is more or less stable, which it sounds like it almost is, then it's fine to to refine these things continually. Yeah. With yeah. the and that's feedback the and input from your uh, users. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's going to be a good place to be is that we'll we'll have the SDK there. People can download it and take a look, potentially build apps on top of it. Uh, but equally, once it's public, if somebody wants to add to, Add something, fix something, submit a PR. Uh, yeah, we're going to be totally up for that um, because that's that's the idea of the SDK in the first place is that um, multiple people working on it is going to lighten the load of this sort of stuff for us, for us all. So I'm hoping that users of the SDK will also participate if they come up against anything like that. Awesome. Yeah, so I went from two, two words to... Ten minutes, but there we go. <laughs> oh well, um, two like two sentences can be ten minutes if you're a politician or Dave Wood, apparently. Um, yeah, well, I speak awesome. in commas, Daniel. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you add some parentheses in there. Like, yeah, as long yeah. as you don't put parentheses inside parentheses, um, then then we're good, I think. Because footnotes on podcasts, I think you found where I would, I would, I would love having footnotes on podcasts. I would love having footnotes everywhere. I, I write basically, but <laughs> okay, we're going we're going deep into the woods now. Okay, um, David, where can people find you online if they haven't if they want to hear more from you? Yeah, if you want to read many commas from me, you can go to my website at davidgarrywood.com. Uh, you can also find me on Mastodon at davidgarrywood at social.davidgarrywood.com. Both of these will be linked in the show notes. How about you, Daniel? Right, I make Telemetry Deck, which is app analytics, of course. And you can find that at telemetrydeck.com. And you can find me in social media, mostly at daniel at social.telemetrydeck.com. Uh, because we're Mastodon friends now. Or Mastodon yes. fans? I don't know. We're on, we're on the <laughs> Fediverse. We are indeed. And I am tooting along with Toot SDK. <laughs> Dave, this has been amazing. Um it's always nice to hear you and hang out with you, and I can't wait for the next time. Likewise, Daniel. Catch you in a couple of weeks. All right. Bye.